to all of you. Some of you arrived while it was dark. Thanks for joining us. Um, for those who are listening online, grateful to have you guys as well. Uh, we are in a series. We've been talking on this, um, uh, I, the thoughts of the armor of God. And uh, this, uh, this week, as I was prepping for it, I was like, oh, man, there's just so much content to share. And so I showed my daughter all my prep notes, which I don't usually do. And there was like eight pages. And I'm like, how am I going to get this down to a couple pages? And I couldn't. So we're just going to do all eight pages. So uh, buckle up. As my teachers in uh, grade school used to say, put on your thinking caps. And I would encourage you to do that this morning to listen really, really carefully. Yes, you two in the front. Listen very, very carefully. Beware of distraction this morning, uh, because if you miss some of the things that I say this morning, you'll think I said something different, and I would encourage you to, uh, to just be in, in the moment and engage throughout this, uh, this morning. Uh, this week, I was volunteering at junior youth at another church, and uh, as I was there, my son came up to me, and he said to me, uh, he pulled me aside after about 15 minutes of playing with all these kids, he's like, Dad, Dad you might want to pull your pants up. We can all see your underwear. And I was like, I was like, oh man, I checked and I was like, oh sheesh. I thought that that conversation with my son was always going to be the other way around, right? I'd be the one telling him, would you pull your pants up? You know, uh, but I get caught without my belt is, is what I, you know, the, the thought behind that. My belt wasn't functioning properly. And, you know, it can be humorous when the pastor looks more like a plumber, but it's not always humorous. It can be dangerous as well. You know, when there's a roofer without their belt, caught without their belt in a time where they fall, it can be incredibly dangerous. You know, as a Jesus follower, if you get caught without your belt, it can be incredibly dangerous. And, and if you're not sure what we're talking about last week, we began this talk on this idea of the belt of truth having a belt of truth in our lives and in our minds. And why are we talking about it? Because there was a man named Paul, a Jesus follower, who encouraged Jesus followers everywhere to, to, to not only put on this piece of armor, but a, a number of others. And he mentions this um, belt of truth, and he, he would pass this letter on to believers in other towns, in other generations, till it reaches us today. And uh, we read from Ephesians, his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 6, verse 13. It says this, Therefore... Put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. That was the key thought, to be standing firm when you go through battles. He said, stand your ground, put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. One of the verses we looked at last week, another one we looked at that helped clarify what this battle looks like. He said this in 2 Corinthians verse 10, or sorry, chapter 10, verse 4 to 5. Actually, we start in verse 3. It says, we're human. But we don't wage war as humans do. We're not fighting with physical weapons, but we are fighting. We are in a battle. And he says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. What are these weapons doing? They knock down strongholds. What kind of strongholds? He says, strongholds of human reasoning, which are thought patterns and thought processes. We destroy false arguments. Again, thought patterns and thought processes. Verse 5, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Last week we learned that those strongholds can be in our own minds. And we said we need to have the belt of truth in our own minds, saying that every thought that comes through your head, there's something that weeds it out and says, yeah, that's true, I'll think on that. What are you saying? That's not true. No, that's not true. No, that's not true. Out, out it goes. And uh, what we realize from this verse is that it's not just strongholds in our minds we have to be aware of, but that in our sharing the gospel and sharing faith with other people, there's strongholds in the minds of others, uh, strongholds in the mind of our culture. 
Last week we ended with the thought of Jesus, what Jesus said about himself, what John said about Jesus. John said in John 1.14 that Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. You want to know somebody who's full of truth, telling the truth all the time? He says, that, that was Jesus. I know, I saw him. I was an eyewitness of him. Not only was he full of truth, John numerous times said Jesus would say, man, I speak the truth. When I'm talking, listen, I'm speaking the truth. He also said, you know, I don't just speak the truth. In John 14, he told his disciples, I am the way and I am the truth. Like there's nothing untrue in me or in what I say. And when he was on trial, just before his, um, just before his crucifixion, he said to Pilate, that he had come to testify and reveal and speak truth. And here's where it says, John 18, verse 37, Pilate said to him, so you're a king? And Jesus responded, you say I'm a king, but actually I was born and I came into the world for this purpose, to testify to the truth. I came to show what's really true. I came to reveal to a world that isn't sure what truth is. This is what truth is, to speak truth, to reveal truth. And it says, and all who love the truth recognize that what I say is truth. Pilate responded with this question, what is truth? What is truth? You know, that's a question we need to be asking as well. As Jesus followers in this place, what is truth? Because if Jesus said that he's the truth, that everything he says is truth, and he claims that to speak truth and only be truth, then we have to decide whether we believe that or not. Because either he is who he says he is, or he's a liar. And we as, a, as a Jesus followers need to know who we're following, or, and, and regardless of whether we're Jesus followers or not, who we're following or what we're following. Because if we don't follow truth, consider the alternative. We end up following what's going on around us. We follow our culture instead. And that's why Paul was writing to the Jesus followers and telling them, armor up. You're going to need the belt of truth to live in a culture and time like this. You are going to need truth. You're going to need to know truth in a day and a time like this. And so I want to take a look today at the culture he was talking to and how it resembles the condition of our culture today. But before I do that, I need to make a disclaimer. The disclaimer today, there's two. Number one, this is not PG rated. So if you have children here today who you've not had the talk with, you may want to uh, take them down to kids' church at this moment. I'm giving you fair warning. Parents look down the aisle. We're good? Thank you. Yeah, we're good. Okay. The other thing is some of what I say today is, may offend you, but I want you to know that it's not meant to offend you. What I'm saying today, some of the things that I say may offend you, but I'm not saying it, in a, in a, it with the purpose of offending you. Uh, and why do I have to even make that kind of disclaimer? Because we live in a culture that just gets angry first and asks questions later. It's, it's what sells our media. You look at all the headlines. The headlines, so many of them have these words in them. Outrage, anger, attack, fury, livid, blow up, disgrace, destroyed. You know, I just have to show you a few pictures, and you can, you can bring you back to those headlines. You know, this guy right here, so many of those words are so often used about him. Mobs of people just angry, angry, angry. What about this young lady named Greta? You know, how dare you destroy my future? You know, we, rather than find out all the truth for ourselves, let's just, just join in the angry mob mentality. And then this fella, Don Cherry. Man, in the news today, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. You know, we'll ask questions later. Let's just get angry uh, after statements that he made. You know, phone lines overwhelmed 
the, the place taking the calls that they could, they, it, it shut them down. There were so many phone calls of just let's get angry first, we'll ask questions later. And so today my hope, my hope's not to make anyone angry, but my hope for us is that we would think, that we would think about why we we as Jesus followers need a belt of truth today. Paul wrote to the Romans in the first century, nearly 2,000 years ago. And I want to look at the similarities of the culture he was writing to. And when he wrote about these things of needing a belt of truth, here's what he was writing to. And I, I wonder if we find ourselves in similar conditions today. Turn with me to Romans 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. You can follow along on the screen, but hope you have a chance to read along. It says this, verse 18, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth. They've seen the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. They can see his eternal power. They can see his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. But since they know the truth, but they suppress it, they restrain truth. The culture he was living in restrained truth. They, they lived in a culture that knew there was truth there, but were, were holding it down. They knew that there was a God, Paul said. They were like, we don't, we don't want to acknowledge that there's a God. We don't, we don't want there to be a God. He says, but he says, you know there's a God. That truth is out there, but, but you're restraining it. And he says, you know how I, I know that you know there's a God? Because it's, creation is screaming to you that he exists. All around them, they said, you have evidence that there's a, a creator. You know, if I were to show you this painting today, this painting they found, but they have no idea who the uh, painter of this painting is. And so I can tell you today that there was no painter because we don't know who it was. So and since we don't know who painted it, he doesn't exist or she doesn't exist. And you would look at me and say, that's disingenuous. That's not, that's not truth. We know there was a painter. We may not know who they were, but we know there was one because we have the painting. And Paul is saying the same thing. Look around you. You see all this stuff. You may not know who the creator is, but there is one. There is one. You know, if we think about this, the iPhone, if I were to tell you today that the new iPhone 11 with its triple cameras, 12 megapixels each, those bad boys. Man, that was pretty, pretty amazing. If I were to tell you that that thing just designed and created, manufactured and shipped itself, they are pretty great, but they can't do that. You'd be like, there's no way that the iPhone did all of that on its own. You know what's interesting? Forget the iPhone. How about just the eye? Just the eye. Do you realize that 12 megapixels is the best that we can do with our technology right now? So what's in that area? But the eye, do you realize that God put two 576 megapixel cameras on the front of your face? Do you realize the human eye is 576 megapixels, 37 million light-sensitive cells, all in perfect order to give us sight? Oh, that just evolved all on its own. You know, evolution wants us to believe that that all just simply happened. And if we were to give them that, okay, but from what? What did that come from? As we look at science, science tells us that nothing physical can explain its own existence on its own. So see Ravi Zacharias, and he explained it this way. He said that if you look at an apple and you tear an apple apart, right down to like whatever it's made up, everything from that apple, you'll realize, came from something else physical. It didn't just, it, it's dependent on something else physical. So if we look at the life cycle of an apple tree, we realize that, you know, the apple came from the tree. 
and the tree came from a seed, but that seed required uh, water and, that, and ground. And that, if you go back, you realize that water is made up of H2O, the particles of, uh, in the ground and the minerals and the organic matter, all that stuff came from somewhere. Where did it come from? Oh, it came from a, an old dead rotted apple tree. And so if you want to go from physical, physical requires physical. And so if you want to look at it, it says it's just got to go back. Infinity, infinity time back as far as you can go. That's how, that's how we can um, prove that the, the physical came from physical. The problem with it is that science tells us you can't go infinity back. Because scientists have discovered there was a start time. There was a time where it started. Anybody know what they call that? The Big Bang, yeah, somebody went to school and paid attention. Yeah, it's the Big Bang. Everything physical found its, found its beginning in this one singularity. The problem with that singularity, the problem with the Big Bang is that it didn't evolve. So evolution can't tell us our original origin. It, can't, it, it can get maybe that far back, and then it runs out, because what happened there? How do you explain the Big Bang? That's the question that we, we just, you know, they don't even ask in our culture. It's like, well, it just happened. That's where it was. And let's go from there on. Evolution from there on. But how did that evolve? You know what Jesus said? Jesus talked about how something non-physical made the physical. Something outside of the physical. Physical can't, it can only make, reproduce physical, but it requires physical. And Jesus, who is described as truth, Jesus, as the truth said, you know, this something that started the physical isn't a something. He's a someone. And he's described to a woman in a conversation he had with her that God is spirit. He's outside of this realm, and that's why he can dictate this realm. That's why he can create this realm. He's the designer and the creator of what you see. That is what, that is what Jesus said. So we're, we're left with this choice. Which one will we choose? You know, the culture of his day didn't want there to be a God. We just don't want there to be a God. we got to find a way that some way there doesn't have to be a God. Oh, all this creation stuff that, that keeps happening. We've got to find a way to get rid of that. There's got to be another way. Richard Dawkins, famous, famous atheist, well-versed, well-written, wrote um, the, this, sent, this statement. He said, Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist with the theory of evolution. Because up until that point, they couldn't deny all this creation stuff. They had to find another way. And he says, now, now we can be intellectually fulfilled uh, as atheists. Why? Because they were always looking for another way. I just, they want to suppress truth, restrain truth. We don't want there to be a God. Can I tell you something, though? That just because you don't want something to be true doesn't mean it's not true. I have to tell my children that every night at bedtime. It's bedtime just because you don't want that to be true. Doesn't mean that it's not true. Man, how important it is to have a belt of truth in a culture that we live in. Because it doesn't just stop at, you know, let's restrain truth, suppress truth. He goes on. They in, in, instead say, well, if there's truth, let's redefine it. Romans 1 verse 21 says this. Okay, they knew God. Yeah, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. They begin to redefine it. They wouldn't give them thanks. And so what do they do? They begin to think up foolish ideas in their minds of what God was like. And as a result, it says their minds became dark and confused. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, 
they instead became utter fools. Verse 23, and instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things that God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise, exclamation mark, amen. Paul can't even help himself as he's writing this to just be like, amen, this is so true. I can't even, I, I just got amen to that. The culture he is writing to traded truth. They redefined it. Not only did they restrain it, suppress it, they redefined it. Well, you redefine truth, it's no longer true. If I were to tell you today, two plus two is now 3.5. I've redefined it. It doesn't make it true. It's actually no longer true. And see, what we've done in our culture is say, you'll hear the words, there's no absolute truth. Truth is relative. It's where we hear the thoughts, you have your truth and I have my truth. Let's just be agreement that we can each have our own truth. There doesn't have to be an absolute truth. Have you heard it before? And once you get to the fact where there's no absolute truth, that takes one quick step to there's no more moral truth. There's no absolute moral truth. If there's no one who created the planet, then there's no one who can say how it should run. And what happened? They began to embrace a feelings-based sense of morality. And our culture has has embraced the same idea. The Barner Research Institute in 2000 took a poll of people, including Christians, and said, they asked them if they believed that there was absolute truth and absolute moral truth. And here's what, here's what they came up with. They said a, min, a minority of born-again adults, born-again meaning Jesus followers, people said, I've put my faith in Christ. I, I'm a you know, church-going, Jesus-following people said a minority of born-again adults, 44%, and an even smaller proportion of born-again teenagers, 9%, are certain of the existence of absolute moral truth. 44% said, yeah, there's, absolute moral, there's things that are absolutely right, and there are things that are absolutely wrong. These things are right all the time, and that will never change. No matter how many years go by or how many circumstances happen, that will be right. Only 44% of Christians said that. 9% of teenagers simply said, you know what? I believe there's some things that are morally right and morally wrong all the time. Only 9%. The tr- problem with this is that this was the year 2000. Those teenagers are no longer teenagers. Those teenagers are the adults of today, and so they redid this, they redid this um, uh, research, and here's what they found. In their next poll in 2016, they came up with these numbers, three-quarters of millennials. There are a few of you here. 74% of the millennials agree strongly or somewhat with this statement. Whatever is right for your life or works best for you is the only truth you can know. 74% of millennials agree strongly or somewhat strongly with this statement, whatever is right for you, for your life, or works best for you, that's the only truth you can know. And shockingly, 41% of Christians agreed with them as well. That truth is just whatever feels right rather than what is right. That is the culture we're living in right now, whatever feels right rather than what is right. But is that really okay? Is that really okay? Let me ask you that. Are you okay... If I simply do what feels right to me, you're like, yes, as long as you let me do what feels right to me. 
And I would say, okay, today it feels right to me that you should give me your wallet either by, you know, uh, either you just give it to me or I take it by force. It feels right to me to rob you because I know, you know, I'll send my people because I know you're in church. Send them to your house and rob you. You know, or I feel like it's right for me to kill you because I don't like you. You'd be like, no, that's against the law. You can't steal. You can't kill. That's against the law. Yeah, well, at one time, divorce was against the law, abortion was against the law, and using cannabis was against the law as well. So if I can just simply change the law to say that killing is no longer a crime or that theft is no longer a crime, does then make it truth? See, we live in a culture where majority makes the morality. If we can vote enough people in, they'll decide what we want to be true, to be true for us. Does it make it truth? Does it make it truth? You know, Hans Christian Andersen wrote an incredible story. You probably have heard of it, The Emperor's New Clothes. I tried to find an appropriate picture. I hope this is okay. <laughs> In Hans Christian Andersen's story, the emperor hires some people to come and create some new clothes for him. And they come up to him and these con artists say, hey, we're creating these beautiful clothes for you. And he's like, I can't see them. He's like, because it's invisible clothing. This stuff's so amazing. Only the people who are fit to fill their position I can see it. If you can't see it, it means you're unfit for your position or you're stupid. And so they began to weave the clothing. And as he said, wow, look at my clothing. He said to the people around him, hey, what do you think of my brand new clothing? And they, not wanting to feel unfit or stupid, were like, oh, yes, that clothing is wonderful. That clothing is amazing. And as the rest of the courtiers began to agree with them, he went out on parade and was wandering through the streets. Let everyone see my beautiful new clothes. And as they looked... He said, the people along the side were like, wow, look at those beautiful clothes, not wanting to appear stupid, not wanting to appear unfit, until one little boy finally pointed out and said, hey, he's naked. He's naked. And everyone else began to chuckle because they knew it to be true, just never had the courage of that one boy. Why? Because it's not, (laughs) it's tough to be the one little boy that says, hey, wait a second, that's not true. Is it possible that we live in a culture that says, By majority, oh, this is the new truth. This is the new truth. If you don't agree with our truth, you're unfit or you're stupid or you're bigoted or you're hateful because this is the new truth. Is it possible we live in a culture like that? Man, how important it is to have a belt of truth in a culture like this. But it's worse. It's not just that they restrain truth. It's not that they just try and redefine truth. If we can't get those things done, let's just remove it. Let's just remove truth. Here's what it says in Romans 1.26. Follow along with me. It says, that's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. They want to remove truth. It says this, even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, they burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Why? Verse 28, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, they thought it foolish to acknowledge truth. He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that should never be done. Verse 29, their lives, as a result of abandoning truth, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, of sin, of greed, of hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip. They're backstabbers. They're haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. 
They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them as well. You know, the King, New King James just says they didn't want to retain truth in their knowledge. In all of my knowledge, I don't want there to be the truth of God. And by removing it, by simply removing truth, the effects are terrible. Think about it. You remove light, what are you left with? Darkness. You remove order, what are you left with? Chaos. You remove truth, what are you left with? You're just left with that laundry list of descriptions of people none of us would wish to be. And we're left with confusion. You know, when a culture removes truth, we're left with confusion. And I don't know if you see it, but our culture is suffering from confusion, suffering from an identity crisis, a confusion crisis. You know, if we're not, if we're not uniquely created, if we're not uniquely created beings created in the image of God, well then, who are we or what are we? And that's the question that our culture is trying to answer. If there isn't a God, if there's no truth, well then, who are we? We've got to find our identity somewhere. And so where do we find it? In things like sexuality. You know, we identify with our sexuality instead. Do you know, as you realize, I don't know if you see it, but we're going to run out of letters pretty soon of how long the list is getting of different identities of sexuality. Why? Because you were never meant to identify with that. That was never meant to determine your identity. But without truth, it leaves that void. How do I find my identity? And if it isn't sexuality, then it's gender. You know, we're going to run out of numbers when it comes to this gender thing. You just Google, go home and Google how many genders are there, and you'll see the numbers depending on the time. A number of years ago, it was two. Then it was three. Then it was five. Then it was seven. Uh, recently, it's 72 different genders. Why? One clever person wrote on Wikipedia, the number of genders is actually 7.7 .7 billion because it's the number of people on this planet because there's no category that all encompasses the individuality of each person. Man, but we're like reaching to try and answer this question. You know, and then race, behavior, addiction, all of these things that we try and find our identity in. Can I just ask this question? If you believe that there's no God, or if our culture believes that there's no God, why? Why? If we just believe we're just evolved biology, then why do we even have a longing for identity? Why is that even in us? My dog doesn't come up to me and goes, woof, woof, my dog or a cat. It just doesn't even care. But why do you care? Because I think there's something different about you. You were created to know who you are. To know whose you are. That's what that identity desire is on the inside. So if you have that, why would you base your identity on things like this? Why would you base your identity on your sexuality, on past desires? The gender thing, you know, why would it be on feelings that that is now your identity? This is who you are. Can I just simply say this? If you're same-sex curious or whatever, that shouldn't be labeled. If you've got kids that wrestle with that, that shouldn't be labeled at that age. To say, well, now this is who you are. I'm so thankful that in the time when I grew up, when my favorite color was purple, 
Never had a girlfriend until I was 20. My best friend was a guy. And people would make comments thinking, oh, he must be gay. But they didn't label me as that. Because it's amazing how feelings and thoughts can change. What are we doing to our generation of young people by simply saying this is your new identity? They were never meant to be identified by that. Why would you choose to identify based on your demographic? Why would you choose to identify based on behavior decisions or addictions? My past decisions is who I am. None of those things were meant to be our identities, ever, ever. You know, the identity, Paul wrote to the Galatians, and he said, you know what, in Christ there's no male, there's no female. There's no slave, there's no free, there's no Jew, there's no Greek. All of this trying to find out these, these things. He's like, you're in Christ. You know who you are? You're a one of a kind, created masterpiece of God. You are his child. And if you find your identity in him, the rest of it doesn't matter. You don't need to divide yourselves among all of that identity crisis solved. But if there's no God to help to find your identity, man, are we lost. You know, I look at Jesus and how he saw people. He connected with people in one of two ways. He just simply saw people as either connected to their Heavenly Father or not yet. And he treated them all the same. Whether they were rich, whether they were poor, man, woman, old, young, child, slave, from Samaria or from Jerusalem, with leprosy or with clear skin, it didn't matter. They were people. They were people. You remove truth. You're left with confusion. You remove truth, you're left with brokenness. They want to say that by removing truth, we are, we are raising the value of humanity because humanism is all we need. Just be good for goodness sakes. But the problem is when we remove truth, it devalues humanity. You read Romans 1.29 and that list of things that I said, it's what they were doing to each other. They did it to each other because if there's no value to the person next to you, it doesn't matter what you do to them. Why is this a problem? Because culture tries to restrain and redefine and remove truth. And it wants you and I to do the same. I don't know if you realize that, but you are in a wrestling match every single day with culture trying to remove, restrain, redefine truth and asking you, calling you, come join us, come follow us in this thing. And Paul says, listen, believer, armor up. You're going to need truth to live in this culture and in this time that we live in today. So as we close, what's our response? What is our response and what it should be? What should it be? Paul wrote to the Romans, Romans chapter 12. He said to them, here's what I think your response should be. He said, don't copy. Don't conform to. Don't copy or conform to the behavior or the the thought processes and customs of this world. They're there, but don't copy that. Let God transform you into a new person. And how does he do it? By changing the way you think. By giving you a different world view than what what the world around us has. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Paul leaves him with two challenges. He says, hey, don't, don't, don't conform. Don't get stuck in that way of thinking. But actually, on purpose, intentionally, be transformed by changing the way you think. Getting into the word. Getting his word into you. Knowing the truth so it sets you free. and sets people free around you. So, so knowing truth that it doesn't matter what comes your way. You're like, nah, I got the belt of truth. I know that that is not true. I don't care how many people say it. Let every man say it. Every man can be a liar, but he's true. I'm going to stand for truth because I've got the belt of truth on. I'm armored up. I'm armored up in this day and in this, and in this time. I, last week, was just saying how proud of all those people on Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights who are just in the word saying, I want to know truth for myself. Well, I made a mistake. 
I should have said, I'm proud of all of those who do it on Monday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday as well, saying, I just want to know truth for myself. It matters. It matters. Here's what R.C. Sproul said. He said, the word can be in the mind without being in the heart, but it can't be in the heart without first being in the mind. Mindless Christianity is no Christianity at all. You can't love what you don't know. He's simply saying, you got to get his word up here because that's the only way it's going to get to here. So thank you for doing that. And here's a second thought. The second thought is this. To the Jesus followers, people have the right to be wrong. People have the right to be wrong. Why do I say it? (laughs) You know, the Declaration of Independence, they said we have these inalienable rights. We believe that everyone has the right to to life, to liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Even if they want to pursue happiness in a different way than we would, they have the right to do it. They have the right to do it, which means this. They've got a right to a different opinion than you because they have a right to choose just like you've been given. The people in Rome had the choice in that day, in that culture, to make a choice that was contrary to the choices that Paul was talking about. And why do I say that? Because if we don't, if we don't realize they have a right to be wrong, then anger becomes our response. Anger becomes our response. I watched the movie Unplanned this week, talking about the abortion and the change of, of uh, Abby as she talks about how that she was, went from being a director of, of an abortion clinic to flipping to the other side. And what did she say it was? She said, I saw the people at the gates shouting things like, God hates you. You're killing children. Come join us. It's like, who would want to join that? She said, but then there was people who just simply loved me for who I was. They saw the decisions I was making. They didn't state that, that they just simply said, hey, there's another way. We... Have you considered other options? We invite you to come try something different. Taylor Swift has a song out, You Need to Calm Down. You're way too loud. If you've seen the video, there they are, the church people parading with their signs, you know, around all the people. And what does Taylor simply say? She's like, listen, you got to stop shouting at us from your internets and things because throwing shade didn't make anyone less gay. Throwing shade never made anyone less gay. That thought of, you know, being angry. Oh, this is it. You're sinners and whatever else. He says, that's, that's not the response. Because what happens is if we don't realize that they have a right to make a different decision, we become angry. And that anger is not what Jesus ta- talked about at all. But here's our response to just continue to speak the truth. Eli Weasel, who was, went through the Holocaust, tells a story of a man who wanted to save humanity. And he simply shared this. He said there was a, a man who, got, who went out to a, to a place and he kept shouting and encouraging the city, the people of the city, to change, to change their behavior, to change their lifestyle. And, he says, and, and they, he says for a while they listened and then they just stopped listening and they just wander by him every day. And after years of him doing this, a boy finally walked up to him one day and said to him, Sir, why do you keep shouting? Can't you see that it's not having any effect at all? And he said to the little boy, he said, you know what, son? He says, I stood, I began shouting years ago simply because I thought it might help change the city. But he says, you know what? Today I keep shouting so that that city doesn't change me. You know, you're in a culture that's attempting to try and change you. And if you leave truth, oh, it will. It will. Paul said in Ephesians 4, Verse 14, then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, every new thought, new truth. He says, we won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Verse 15, instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. What does he say? 
not just speak the truth, but speak it in love. Because the people who were wandering around with their signs thought they were speaking the truth. The people yelling, you know, across that fence at the abortion clinic thought they were speaking the truth. They missed something. The idea is that we'd speak the truth and speak it in love because you need both. There'll be people who today who would say that what I had to share is hate speech. Get used to that thought. That's their new truth. But is it really hate speech? Let me, let me leave you with this thought. There's an NFL player named Trent Williams. Trent Williams was in the news this week. This man went to the hospital this summer in North Virginia. He was diagnosed with a cancerous tumor on his skull. They removed it. It required three surgeries to remove it. They saved his life. They said he was weeks away from it entering his brain. It's an amazing story, but it's got a massive problem. You know what the problem was? That for the past six years, his football team doctors told him, oh, you have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to worry about. Were they loving and telling him that? No. Because there is a, a truth. A truth that says we're broken. And we know it. Truth that says there's evil on this planet. And for some, that's your thing. Like, if there's evil, how can there be a God? It's pretty simple. If there's evil, there must be good. And if there's good, there must be a reason why that's, that's good. You know, the... Good's got to be defined by some moral law or morality. And if there's a law of morality, somebody had to make it. And I would simply say that that person, that giver of morality, is also the creator, the one who brought truth to the world, the one who has a solution for this planet. And here's his solution. John 3, verse 16 and 17 says this, For God so loved this world, this broken, hurting world, he gave his only begotten son, who we know to be truth, He sent his only son, truth, that whoever believes in him, in truth, would not perish but have everlasting life. For God, and I love this, we always stop at verse 16, but verse 17 is just as powerful. For God did not send truth into the world to condemn the world. That's not why truth came. It says, but it came that the world through him, through trusting in truth, might be saved. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to rescue it and to pay whatever price was required to do it. Do you know his solution today is still to bring truth into the world? Still to bring truth into the world. That's why he said, you, go into all the world. Go into all the world and speak the good news. Why? Because they need truth in that culture. What did he also say? Go be salt and be light and don't lose your saltiness and don't stop shining because they need truth. They need truth. He didn't come in anger and we shouldn't either. He came with an invitation, which is the same thing. Hey, would you come follow me? Would you come follow truth? How do we know it's true? How do we know that's true? Jesus, follower, if you believe Jesus is the truth, then you can simply believe it's true because the truth said it. The truth said it. And so this morning, I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm not. I'm not saying, hey, you know, I've got it all figured out. I'm right. I'm just simply here pointing to the truth, who is Jesus. You know, I would say the church has been the same, but I think the church is like this signpost. This signpost has seen some better days. You can see it's marred, it's bent, it's probably not even pointing the right way right now. But that doesn't mean that because it's beat up and bent, it's got some human you know, interaction with it, and it may not be pointing the right way at this point, that doesn't mean that what it was originally pointing to never existed, or that that truth was never there. And then the same thought, I can understand why people today have a problem with Christianity Modern Christianity, I understand. You know why? It, 
it, modern Christianity, has become an organization that's been manhandled ever since its inception. You know, it has some humanly traits. It does have some things where people have uh, brought division and brought condemnation and brought some humanly things. It has done that. But the truth of Christianity is that the Christ of Christianity still invites you to come follow him, not it. We're so busy telling people, oh, come to our church, come do this, but that's not what you're, we're, we're to be doing. We were meant to simply be a signpost pointing to the truth. Our world needs Jesus. They don't need church services. They don't need my messages. They need him. They need him. If you're here today, you're not a Jesus follower, and life feels broken, and you would look for purpose in you, some of the things that ring true in your heart and your mind today, that same Jesus is inviting you to come follow him. Not truth claims, not a religion, not a book. He's calling you to come follow him. To just admit, you know what, I am uh, I'm broken. Whatever word you want to use, I'm a sinner, I'm broken, but I want to follow you instead. And to the Jesus followers, final thought, I mean it. If we're saying we follow the truth, Do we know what that is? Do we know who that is? In Acts, they talked about the Bereans who searched the word so that they would know what was truth. They would know what was truth. If we say, I'm going to follow the truth, then it matters what the truth says about life. Then it matters what the truth says about death, what truth says about marriage, what truth says about sex, what truth says about identity, what truth says about life after this life, what truth says about heaven, what truth says about hell, what truth says about hope, what truth says about God, what truth says about you. It matters. It matters. We can't decide what truth we're going to say, yeah, we'll take this truth and not that, because we've decided to follow the truth. So in the words of Paul, put on every piece of God's armor, Jesus' follower, so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And after the battles, you will be standing firm. So stand your ground and put on the belt of truth. Don't get caught without your belt. Armor up. Don't get caught without your belt. You got to decide to armor up. And so this morning, I said last night, I, I hope that this wasn't as difficult for you to hear as it was for me to share. And it was a bit of a wrestle, but as far as our church goes, I believe it was worth it. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and how it just cuts right to our hearts. Thank you for the truth that we find in there, the truth of what you said, Jesus, the truth of what those New Testament writers wrote to us. Lord, as we go from this place, you know where each one of us is at in our journey. I'm, I'm just grateful that you're the one who takes us in the next steps of truth. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, that where our minds need some messing, that you would do so, that where our hearts need changing, that you would do so, that you would fill us with your love for the people around us, that we'd be courageous to speak truth, but that we would never do it outside of love, that they might see you, Jesus, that our world might find you and find the hope they so desperately look for. May they find it in you. Lord, thank you for this chance to spend this time together as your body of believers to encourage one another to grow But thank you for making that possible. Jesus, thanks for coming for us. Thanks for giving your life for me. 
love you. I'll live my life for you in return. It's in your beautiful name that I pray. Amen.